What we're going to do in this session, uh, this session is actually going to be the second session uh, where we focus on well-being as, as leaders. And I think as we heard Rory sharing, and he was sharing something of the vulnerability of his story, we can say, hey, gifted leaders, called, commissioned, not here by chance, not here by choice, but by the commission of God. And yet we can still recognize that we have to tend to the well-being of our souls. And we have to do what the panel up here spoke to us about, which is, is to embrace the unhurried rhythms of grace and walk in the steps of Jesus. But also on the African continent, and what we're going to face a look at in this con uh, session right now, is we're going to look at some dynamics of mental well-being and counseling, which on the African continent can, for some people, be a little controversial, right? So when we listen to American leaders like John Mark Homer, that in many ways is leading the charge on those embracing the ways of Jesus and finding the unhurry rhythms. He speaks almost equally about his therapist, his spiritual director, his band of brothers, and his spiritual disciplines of silence and solitude and Sabbath and quiet time. And we can find ourselves going, hey, that feels very Western and somewhat postmodern to, to many of our ears here on the African continents. And, and others might find themselves asking questions like this, but aren't the gospel and the spirit enough for us as Christ followers? We find ourselves here in Hebrews 12, and doesn't it call us to just look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and trust him because he's promised he's going to mature and perfect us? Is that not enough? And you might kind of resonate with some of these questions, right? Our well-being as Christian leaders, isn't it just the kind of link to the quality of our quiet time and tapping into the spiritual resources and endless grace of God? I think these are great questions for us to grapple with. What is the place? What is, what is, what is the place of counseling in the Christian church? And how do we as church leaders respond to mental illness and issues of well-being in others' lives and also in our own lives? And where does our confidence lie in these matters? And so we're going to be speaking and, and looking to some of these things uh, today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Carl Johnson, who is our friend, uh, to come and speak to us for about 20 minutes. He's going to frame the conversation for us, hopefully really well. He's already got opposition at the back there, sorry, Carl. <laughs> and, and then I'm going to give you guys, after he's framed the conversation, asked some of the bigger questions, helped us understand this, he, we're going to give you some time to discuss this. Where does this uh, kind of interact with your life? What is your thoughts on these matters? Where is this real in the context of your church or, uh, you know, people in your leadership team, maybe your own life? How do we grapple with this? Then we've got some questions around uh, for Rigby and for Carl, and we're going to discuss this a little bit more and take some questions from the floor. So be writing down your questions while Carl's speaking to us. For those of you who don't know Carl, Carl's an elder at Jubilee Church and a great friend of this community and a friend of mine. Uh, Carl is also heads up their biblical counseling kind of uh, dynamic in the life of the church. But what many of you might not know is he's also the chairman of Biblical Counseling Africa, an organization that's kind of set up to help uh, churches deal with what does it look like to take the biblical counseling tool uh, forward on the continent. And so Carl's a great gift to come and have speak to us about this this morning. So Carl, won't you jump up here? Um, what you guys may have also heard, well, you can cheer for him right now. Go for it. Yeah, I saw some of it. What you also may not know is that Carl's actually written a great little book, co-authored a great little book here, How to Get the Most Out of Your Counseling. And one of the most helpful things in this book is actually uh, the parts where he answers the question, how do I know that I need counseling? And I found that incredibly helpful. So these little books, I've asked Carl, won't he make these books available? You can pick one up. They're brilliant. And I feel like every one of us should have at least read this to equip ourselves in this regard. But Carl's going to come and speak to us about that. In other matters, before Carl gets going, is you guys would have heard by now, or maybe some of you haven't, Jubilee, one of the kind of key churches in the life of 
have advanced over the years. These guys have been journeying with us pretty much since the beginning of advance on the African continent. And as an eldership team, they have felt God leading them on to seek partnership with some of their historic kind of NF friends in one of the other NF spheres, and they trust in God to lead in that, and conversations are ongoing in that space. But today, as Kyle stands here, I want to take a moment to bless Jubilee Church, and I want us to uh, bow our heads together and to pray for God's richest as they go forward into everything that God has for them. These guys are such friends in the city. Uh, As two churches here, Common Ground and Jubilee, we do a lot together with our youth and our marketplace ministry and all those kinds of things. Our eldership teams are dear to each other, and that continues. But we really want to trust that God leads you guys into His very best for your future. So won't you join me in praying for Kyle and for that team and that church. Father, thank you so much for Jubilee Community Church in this city and on this continent. Thank you for the blessing that that church has been to so many over so many years. And we pray, Father, that you would multiply the work of their hands, that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would cause your face to shine upon them. God, we ask that as they uh, seek new partnership avenues and clarify some of those historic relationships and tag in uh, with men and women who are doing things on this continent and around the world, God, won't you give them wisdom in that? And won't you make it a sweet journey for, for them into the mores of what you have for them? God, we bless them today. And we entrust them to your hands. And we thank you for the years of partnership and friendship that we've been able to enjoy. And we look forward to much more of that. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen. 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 Let's open our hearts to Carl as he serves us in this. Thank you. Well, it's a huge uh, joy and privilege to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, And I can't think of a better greeting than what... John says to his friend Gaius in 3 John verse 2, he says, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. And that's a beautiful verse that captures that holistic wellness. Hey, John's saying to his friend, I I just hope you're well, physically, spiritually, making progress. And um, I think that's a nice verse to kind of launch us into our thinking. Um, So in 20 minutes, I want to try and cover four key questions that I think are worth reflecting on. And then I'm very keen for the Q&A stuff because I think a lot of these are quite complicated. (laughs) So I'm gonna do my best to try and cover them uh, quickly and hopefully clearly. Um, And the first question has got to do with understanding and defining mental health. Um, I'm gonna first look at both Western and African perspectives on that. But as I'm sure you know, if you look in the concordance of your Bible, you will not find the term mental health there. Um, and so then we're gonna think Christ, like Christianly. You know, how do we think about mental health as, as Christians? What difference does that make? What are the theological categories that are relevant? Um, and then we'll consider um, how, do I, like how am I doing with my mental health? And that's linked to that question of how do I know I need counseling, biblical counseling? Um, what's the difference between kind of, what are the different options out there? And then the last question, is what role should the church play in caring for people who struggle? Um, so we'll try and cover those in, in 20 minutes, but it's, it's really just a conversation starter. So firstly, uh, how do we define this term, mental health? Well, it, it, the irony with this is that mental health is an in, incredibly popular term. I mean, we hear it all the time. And yet, actually, it's not easy to define. Uh, there are a lot of different definitions. Um, I like ones that are simple. So I've, uh, the one definition that I've kind of um, enjoyed using it was produced by a British psychologist, uh, Dr. Marianne Baker. She defines mental health as the ability to cope emotionally and cognitively when we experience problems or challenges in life. I like that because it's simple. Your mental health is your ability to cope in terms of how you think and interpret life, uh, in terms of your emotional responses, and then, of course, in terms of your behavioral responses when it comes to dealing with challenges. So let me just highlight the three elements in that definition, right? So the first element there is mental health focuses on your thoughts and emotions and your behaviors um, more than your um, physiological well-being. Now, of course, there's a connection there, and we'll think about that in a second. 
But when people tend to talk about mental health, they're talking about what, you know, what the Bible would call your inner man, generally. Um, although, of course, emotions are those complicated things where they're both physio physiological and your heart feels things. And so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Um, but with mental health, that's what, that's what they're talking about, coping emotionally and cognitively, um, rather than seeing a, a, a physician about something with your body. So that's a, helpful, that's a helpful thing to keep in mind, the first aspect of that definition. The second aspect of that definition is that to talk about mental health at all is to presuppose that you will experience problems, right? Challenges, distress. One of the frequent words the Bible uses as a bit of a catch-all is affliction. Right? It comes up in the Psalms a lot. <laughs> Lots of affliction. You know that in your own life. Um, I do as well. And so mental health, um, any definition of mental health sort of worth its salt has got to consider that aspect of affliction. How does it deal with problems, challenges? <laughs> the third thing about this definition that I find helpful is that mental health has got to do with your ability to cope. It's got to do with your ability to manage the challenges you face, to handle the stresses and, and challenges of life. So it's not saying that you need to be stoic. It's not saying you need to be perfect. But I think we all know the difference between coping <laughs> and then sometimes we're sort of moving into that not coping zone. We're not really managing. Um, we're, we're not handling it well. So that's um, Dr. Baker's definition. And, I, and I'll just give you a few examples of, of how to think about that definition before I consider the African perspective. So someone who is starting to move into that zone from I'm handling this okay to I'm not handling this is these are some phrases you might hear them say, or maybe you, you hear yourself saying this sometimes. I just can't do this anymore. I feel like I'm falling apart. My anxiety is absolutely engulfing me. Or a very simple phrase, I'm just not coping. I just can't do this, I've had enough. Uh, behaviors can also be a helpful indicator. Sometimes we don't uh, perceive our own thoughts or emotions very easily. So that's where your behaviors can be helpful indicators, right? So here are some examples of uh, things that could indicate someone is struggling with their mental health, increasingly grumpy. <laughs> uh, we all know what that's like. Um, struggling to sleep. Just things in your life, things at church, or just you can't sleep at night, or you wake up, you can't fall asleep again. Heightened anxiety, lack of motivation, right? Uh, you used to really get out of bed with a spring in your step, and now you just think, what's the point? Um, and then another indicator that can be helpful is withdrawal, just not wanting to participate in things that normally actually you would quite enjoy doing. Uh, even if you didn't enjoy doing, um, you at least did. Um, but if you're starting to find that actually I'm just, I just don't, I don't want to leave the house, I don't want to go to church, um, it's, it's much harder when you're the pastor and you feel like that way. <laughs> So, those are some helpful things to look out for, okay, in terms of things you might say or feel or behaviors you might exhibit. If, if you're starting to move into that zone, it's, it's an indicator that maybe this is starting to move from coping with the normal challenges of life, which we all have, um, into a space where I'm not, I don't think I'm ha handling this very well. Um, so that's the kind of uh, Western, Western secular definition. There's a lot of value in it, I think you'll, you'll agree. But um, I thought it would be really helpful to consider an African perspective um, to enrich our understanding. This is also not a, um, coming from a theological background, uh, but there was a really interesting article called The Heresy of African-Centered Psychology, deliberately provocative and, and very helpful. And in that article, the author describes African, um, an African perspective in the following way. He says, in traditional African psychopathology, dysfunction implies collective and individual disequilibrium, particularly with regards to disparities in community, physical, and social functioning. I think it's a really helpful definition. So from an African perspective, um, dysfunction or, or mental unhealth is a much bigger concept. It's much more collective, it's much more social, it can include structural, economic, political factors. Um, that other definition is helpful in terms of thinking about the individual. Is the individual coping? And that's a, 
<laughs> That's a classic Western individual focus. The African focus is really helpful because unless, it, 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 it connects a little bit with the concept of shalom, hey, unless this whole thing is working, we're not well. Um, and so that's a very important concept uh, to keep in mind and a very helpful corrective, I think, to the, the kind of typical Western, um, Western perspective. So that's, that's typically what people mean when they talk about mental health in Africa. Um, you've got to have um, those concepts in mind, of course, because of the influence of the West, but I think those African perspectives add real value. Those are not particularly Christian definitions. Now, I think you'll agree with me that they're helpful, and sometimes Christians try and come up with a sort of biblical definition of mental health, which I'm not going to try and do because, for various reasons, I think that's just uh, conceptually problematic. But um, I think it is helpful to consider, okay, well, if that's what people are meaning by these terms, what are the relevant theological categories that can help us understand this from a Christian perspective? There are quite a few, but I'm only going to give two, really, um, for the sake of time. The first um, theological concept I want to talk about is that we have um, physically embodied, socially embedded souls. <laughs> I know I'm kind of sneaking three ideas in there, but... Um, the, the, the biblical teaching on what it means to be a person means that you're socially embedded, right? You don't live in a vacuum, you live in a context, you live in a place, you, you live, you've got a family of origin, you've, um, you live in a political situation, and, a, and you know, all, all sorts of social context shaping factors. Um, and so you're socially embedded and you're physically embodied. Right, so you have a body that impacts your soul, and the Bible recognizes that, it's complicated, um, but when we think about mental well-being, um, it's why I read from, from 3 John 2, it's, it's helpful to think holistically about the social and physical influences on our souls. Right? I don't know if you um, have ever noticed that demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit is linked sometimes to whether or not you've eaten or slept or... Uh, it's interesting, hey? Kind of, how does that work? Um, so when it comes to understanding mental health as pastors and as churches, I think it's very important for us to recognize that when we consider pastoral care, people are socially embedded and they're physically embodied. Um, which, which of course will impact how we provide care and how we engage. And again, I think that also, that's the, a reminder again of that biblical concept of shalom, hey, that actually we don't live in a world of shalom, we will one day, um, but actually that holistic understanding is very helpful. So that would be the first concept, is that we're socially embedded, physically embodied souls. That's the one thing. The second theological concept that I think really is helpful is that we have active hearts. So the Bible tells us that we have dynamic hearts. One way to think about this is that your heart is like an active verb. It is always thinking, it is always feeling, it is always choosing, it is always trusting, it is always interpreting. And those different verbs help you see the various complex functions that your heart can perform. They all would fall under, I think, the larger concept of worship. That's what your heart does. Your heart is meant, it was created to worship God. We worship God when we think things that are true. We worship God with our emotions, when we desire and feel the way we should about things. And we worship God with, with our sort of uh, choices, when we choose things that are right. So. So worshiping God is not like, obviously, you'll, I mean, I know you know this, but it's not separate to how you think, feel, and choose, and behave. You worship God by the way you think, feel, choose, and behave. Now, it's, it's helpful to remember the biblical teaching of the dynamic heart, because often in our culture, what people will say is, well, that's not an emotional problem, that's a spiritual problem, or vice versa. That's not a psychological problem, that's a cognitive problem. But when you look at the Bible's teaching on the heart, the heart actually performs that full range of psychological functions, um, but under that, I think, larger category of worship. Um, 
which just makes this more complicated, hey, not less complicated. Um, but it's helpful in that sense to see the relevance of your heart and your relationship with God when it comes to your mental health struggles. Because I don't know about you, but I know often in Jubilee, um, it's, I think one of the things um, that, is, that is true for a lot of the, uh, the thinking is um, I've got mental health struggles over here and I've got my relationship with God over there. And the biblical teaching on the dynamic worshiping heart that things feels and chooses helps us see that those things are actually closer than you realize maybe. Now, we, we, wanna be, we don't wanna be simplistic in terms of how we then try and treat uh, people with struggles, but I think recognizing that those things are strongly connected is helpful. Um, so I would love to take more questions on that when we do Q&A, but I think the point there is that we can't rightly understand our mental health struggles unless we understand the role of our active hearts. Um, because if you think again of that definition, what, mental health is the ability to cope emotionally and cognitively with the challenges of life. How you think and feel are things your heart does. Um, and so if we're going to be thoughtful pastoral caregivers, if we're going to be thoughtful about our own struggles, we have to understand um, our dynamic hearts. Okay, so we're embodied souls with active hearts. That's my summary of that point. Um, and then we'll move on to questions three and four. How do, how do I know how I'm doing? How, so the question there is, how do I know if I need counseling or you know, how do I know if I need biblical counseling? I'm just gonna give you three things to think through that can be helpful when you're doing a personal check-in around your own mental health. Um, the simple litmus test is, are you coping? <laughs> how are you doing at handling the challenges that are on your plate, right? Um, sometimes, again, indicators that I'm not handling these things very well, I'm having a disproportionate reaction to something, right? Um, there's, a, there's a challenge at work, and I just, I get too angry, I get too anxious, I, I, I feel like I wanna run away. Um, how are you handling those everyday kind of challenges? We obviously all go through seasons where things are a lot harder, um, but how are you coping, how are you managing with those everyday challenges and problems? Are you handling them constructively um, or unhelpfully? And we all have ways of coping. Sometimes the, one, of the, one of the helpful images the Bible gives us is, what is my refuge? Hey, in, in everyday life, where is my refuge? Is it, is it Netflix? Is it social media? Is it comfort food? Is it wine or beer? You know, where, where am I turning to for relief? Um, where is my refuge? And it's not wrong to watch Netflix or have a glass of wine, obviously. Uh, but again, if I'm, if I'm starting to turn to these things kind of too much, you know, um, then it's a sign that I'm not handling the everyday pressures of life um, constructively. So that's helpful in terms of a self-audit. The second thing there uh, under this question, the second point is, are your friends and family concerned? Right, and again, because sometimes our own ability to discern how we're doing is limited, if you have a spouse or a friend, um, and they're going, hey, are you all right? You were crying during the meeting at work. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's helpful to get their feedback, right? Um, just a little point on this, it, it is really um, important for us to be mindful of folk in our church who are single. Um, it's actually a lot harder for single folks sometimes to pick up on their own mental health because they're living alone. And so just, it's just worth remembering that when it comes to and well, you know, rich community, actually. The, the good thing about like a spouse or a close friends, whatever, they see how you're doing and they often see how you're doing better than you're doing better than you can. So the feedback of other people can be super helpful. Um, so are you coping? Are your friends and family concerned? Thirdly, have you been through something traumatic? If you've been through something traumatic and you've, you've handled it well, it can still be valuable talking to someone, just to check, because what can happen sometimes when you go through something traumatic, we don't realize we're doing this, but our active hearts have interpreted that event 
And if we don't interpret that event in a consciously theological way, we often interpret that event in a sub-biblical way, which unknowingly to us is influencing our view of God and other people. So our sort of unresolved difficult emotions that we carry through a traumatic event become our interpretations of life. So even if you feel like I've been through something tough, I think I'm okay, it can be valuable just saying, I'm just gonna talk with someone about that and I'm gonna give them permission to ask me questions and we're gonna see what comes out. Um, the Bible's very realistic, I think, about our own capacity for like, lack of self-knowledge, hey? Um, and deception. Sometimes it's deliberate, sometimes it's just, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't always know my own motivation. Why do I do Why did I do that? I'm not sure. Um, so if you've been through something traumatic, even if you feel like you're handling it well, um, it can be good to see someone. So those are the three questions. How do I know if I need counseling? Uh, you just, am I coping as in my own perception? Are my friends and family concerned? Have I been through something traumatic? And then in my notes here, I've got give particular encouragement to pastors. Um, sometimes we can think we're in ministry, I shouldn't have these struggles. Um, I've, I've got a few um, passages I'd like to read about people in ministry. Um, Numbers chapter 11, this is Moses. He is leading the people of Israel. They want quail. They, they would like some more meat in their diet. Moses gets to the point where he asks the Lord, this is Numbers 11, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put all the burden of these people on me? Did I conceive them? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy. If this is your, how you're gonna treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now. <laughs> right, so this is Moses, he's a great leader. He's a godly, godlier than us, you know. And, uh, and he's saying, I can't do this anymore. And actually, he's not coping because he's in ministry, <laughs> right? Jeremiah as well, Jeremiah chapter 20. He's saying, you've put your word in my, in my mouth. I can't like stop talking it. I've got like spiritual Tourette syndrome. And whenever I do speak your word, people hate me. And so then he says, why was I ever born? And, and you know, I actually regret the day that I was born because all I've seen is sorrow and trouble. Um, or Elijah, 1 Kings 19. His phrase is, Lord, I've had enough. I've had enough. Just, I'm done. I'm, I can't do this anymore. So it's helpful, I think it's just helpful for us to remember, you know, because as Ryan was saying, we can think, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for us to struggle sometimes because we think we need to be strong, we need to be a good example. Well, I don't, why did God put those in the Bible? <laughs> Maybe to remind us that we're also human, that sometimes it's because of the challenges of ministry that we struggle this way. In fact, if you think of 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about his weaknesses, his shipwrecks, his beatings, what's his crowning point of suffering in that chapter? It's his daily anxiety for the churches. Right, so more than, what's the, the thing about a shipwreck, as bad as it is, he says, I was only out there for a few days. Um, and although the, whip, the, the beating was bad, it was only five times. When he talks about his anxiety, he says it's daily. It's unending. That's, that's why it's the crowning suffering in Paul's list. And that's, a, that's a, if you like, a mental health expression of suffering rather than the, you know, the physical stuff that he mentions. So I just want to encourage you as pastors, as I have to encourage myself, we're not immune to this, right? We are normal, we are, we, we are gonna feel like leaders in the Bible sometimes feel, uh, which means that it's very normal. And actually in a broken world, poor mental health is to be expected, right? I know, <laughs> I know that doesn't sound encouraging, but it's helpful to recognize that, right? It's, it's not unusual, it's not a surprise. You're not crazy or weird if you are struggling. Um, okay, question number four. What role should the church play in caring for people who struggle with mental health problems? I think the, the two things I just wanna say here are avenues of care and attitudes of care. 
So I think in terms of ad avenues of care, we want to try and make as much as we do at a local church accessible to people who are struggling, hey? Um, we want things to be clear and simple and inclusive, um, just as we try and think about inclusivity in a whole range of areas, I think in the mental health space it would be good to think about what does it look like to, to have everything we do as a local church be, you know, be, um, be accessible to people. That of course can mean sometimes particular pastoral care and discipleship uh, programs, um, or if you have a, a, a pastoral care ministry or a biblical counseling ministry, that's another way of providing another avenue of care. But there is just lots of care that can happen in the context of friendships um, as well. And so I think don't, don't wait. Don't feel like you can't do anything until you've got a formal ministry, right? It's actually the ministry of God's people that can be very effective. So try and think through the avenues of care that you've got. And then I'm just going to end with some attitudes of care. And three things I'd like to say here. I think the first is... A lot of the stigma around mental health is just due to a lack of engagement on it. So just start talking about it. And um, it doesn't mean we're importing all these definitions, whether they're Western or African, and, and that, that those are taking over the Bible. But I think it's helpful to say, here's what people in our world are talking about. There's some really helpful concepts there. And here's how the Bible talks about it and how the Bible speaks into this experience. And I think by talking about it more regularly and inviting people to pray for one another and help one another, uh, you can reduce the stigma just by doing that. All right, so that's the first thing around reducing the stigma is by talking about it more and thinking about it more theologically. The second thing there that's kind of linked is you can be involved without having to be an expert. You can be a friend, you can pray, you can, you can love and serve and so, there is a valuable place for specialists, for mental health providers, for trained counselors and biblical counselors. And is, you know, but even when that's happening, people still need friendship. They still need community. They still, and that's, I mean, that's where the local church is so strong. And we noticed in COVID, hey, when people are out of community, the mental health problems go up. So um, be involved, move towards this even even if you're still needing to grow in the expertise or finding a list of referrals. Um, we are more similar to people than we are different, right? So someone who's been given a mental health diagnosis is not in a different category to you. They're just like you. You know what it's like to get fearful. You know what it's like to get anxious. You know what it's like to not cope sometimes, that you're not very far away from relating to that person. So stay involved. Um, and then finally, I think, remember that we have good news for people. We are, we are good news people. That's our thing. <laughs> so when people are suffering, when people are struggling in a broken world, we have a message of hope. It will not always be like this. And the amazing thing is that our mental health problems cannot separate us from the love of God, right? What can separate us from the love of God? And then, you know, in Romans 8, Paul lists out all those things. Can any of these things separate us from the love of God? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so even as we move to complexity and caring for people, we can have this rich confidence in the love of God, which is steadfast and unchanging. Great. Guys, this is such important stuff for us. This subject that we're talking about here, in a world where we see more and more leaders either burning out or fading out or spinning out, is an under-recognized complexity that we need to bring more front and center in the context of how we give each other permission to talk about these things. This is a these are matters that affect my, my home. These are matters that affect my eldership team. These are matters that affect my church. These are uh, matters that affect brothers and sisters in this movement. And we need to be the kind of place that goes, we know what it means to tend well to these, these realities. And we don't kind of just push them to the side and call everybody to have a quiet time and pull their socks up. 
No, we, we move towards in some of the ways that have been said. Can we put those questions on, on the screen real quick? Uh, those ones, yeah, there we go. I want you to turn to groups no bigger than four. And we've just got these questions. I'm going to give you about seven minutes to just chat about it. But you may even just want to park on that top one. Why do you feel this subject is important for us to be speaking about? And, and maybe you can just share about that. Where and how does this touch your life in church? What questions do you have about it? Where do you think your church needs to improve on this? How do you think we can do this well at a movement level? These are all great conversations for us to get to. But uh, just with the people next to you, won't you chat about some of those questions for a moment? And then we're going to take some questions uh, to the stage. Great. Okay, guys, if we could draw your attention back to the front. So I want to quickly just recognize that I hope we can all see that this is not that one of those last questions there, that this is not us trying to say what is the model, how does advance do this, and therefore how must my church do this, that is not at all the heart and the intention. The hope here is to start a conversation that I think most of us would recognize in our churches, in our friendships, kind of church to church and friend to friend as church leaders, this is an underspoken about area of life. And if we're wanting to kind of be leaders that last, if we're wanting to, you know, be humbly onward, if we're wanting to contend for running our race, then we need to be people who have each other's backs in these matters and know what it means to be wise in these matters, know what it means to call people to faith in moments that need faith and call people to actually the resources that are available to us in our day and age to help us process and walk these roads and those kinds of things. So I've asked Rigby to join us on the stage to kind of tell us in his kind of thoughts why he feels like this is an important conversation for us to be having as a movement at this this point in time. And for those of you who weren't in Bournemouth, uh, we took up an offering, and as we do kind of whenever we have global moments, and that offering kind of went to three things. And one of the biggest things that it kind of felt like there was an emphasis on in the room is how do we create resources and make those available for church leaders who would not otherwise be able to afford to an kind of go on journeys of counseling and care and get people around them and things like that. And, and people were very generous towards that, and we're busy developing that. But why is this important, this conversation for us as a movement at the moment, Rig? So, <clears throat> as the not-so-old guy in the room, uh, I'm more convinced uh, than any other season in our life that... Uh, the world is broken, that we're doing ministry in contested space. The challenges are massive on multiple fronts. And if the world is in serious trouble, the notion that this won't impact on us in some quite weighty ways, I think is very naive. Maybe that's my headline comment. The other is... Uh, the more I've got to know Rigby Wallace the more I've realized that uh, he's, he's still a, a work in progress and uh, there are times where, where I've, I realize that, uh, and particularly hindsight perspective, uh, I, I wish I could have had the conversations we're having now many, many years ago. The worst season of my life, I had to guts it out purely on the basis of uh, gospel understanding. Uh, and so I think the world is in trouble, and I think our movement uh, got into some trouble over the last while because we didn't reflect on leadership well-being timeously enough. We didn't necessarily have the culture where we gave permission for people to genuinely be able to say, I'm not doing well. And so very often that was the thing you, said, you shared with a counsellor and you couldn't share it in your eldership teams, and you couldn't share it in, 
even sometimes in our own marriages, to tell your partner, I'm actually going through a difficult time. And, uh, and then one of the courageous things we did as a movement out of this was we got uh, uh, the, the so-called, some of you are aware of the uh, Wade Mullen did a report where uh, we were audited as a, as a movement. And uh, it wasn't harsh or heavy-handed as such, but he kind of made us aware that as a movement we may be neglecting uh, some of uh, those areas of gospel wholeness, mental well-being, uh, and needed to develop some skills at being more trauma-aware because beautiful people in the kingdom of God have gone through trauma. And uh, I think what surfaced was that we were not adequately equipped. So uh, in terms of being a movement that's muscling, muscling up to help, in terms of being a movement that is able to admit its need for help, uh, I think uh, uh, that offering uh, was about saying, we invest in all the things we give, we give uh, weight to, importance to. And I don't remember ever in, the, in 42 years of public ministry that we've ever invested in, in gospel wholeness, well-being. And uh, that, that initiative was, we're going to invest in this in a new way going forward. It's not the thing we're going to do every global, <laughs> uh, but we do need to have a little bit of a war chest and, uh, you know, Ryan might unpack a little bit more of that. Did I answer that okay? Okay. So, Carl, um, some people seem anxious and struggling. Many people grieve for different reasons and, and they have their own experiences and things like that. How do we know when it's just the ups and downs of life and how do we know that actually, man, this is a mental well-being thing and I should take this more seriously? Mm. So I, I know you've touched on it, but if you just had to respond to, to yeah. that for the people in this room particularly. Yeah. Not those that they're leading, in other words, yeah. themselves. I think, yeah, I would probably the, the, the first chapter of the booklet gives quite a lot of reasons or quite a lot of ways you can kind of answer that, that question. But I think, again, the, the simplest way that I like to think about this is am I, am I managing things well? You know, am I actually coping with the challenges that come my way? Um, another good question to ask is am, how am I viewing God in this? You know, is my view of God still true and accurate, or am I starting to get to that place where I don't know where he is, I don't know if he's good, I don't know if he's faithful, I don't know why this is happening to me. So one of the ways to actually discern when, when an experience is becoming traumatic is I can no longer interpret this without help. I'm actually, um, I'm overwhelmed by what's happening and that's, that's that definition around, I'm not coping cognitively. Um, I actually need assistance in interpreting this. And I, I think that it's helpful to remember that's quite normal for us all. Um, so I think why the Bible's so strong on one anothering and community, um, you know, we, we can drift away from our commitment to God at a level of desire. Um, I can also drift into false beliefs None of us consciously move towards false beliefs, but what I was saying earlier, that we go through something traumatic and our unresolved emotions can morph into interpretive conclusions. Um, so I think that's where looking at, have I been through something traumatic? Um, am I coping with this? Am I seeking refuge in other things? Yeah. Um, are friends and family concerned? Um, so those, those would be... Um, those would be the big ones. Maybe one last one is, am I stuck? You know, so I've, I've tried to do this. I've read like a Christian book. I've, <laughs> but I'm still not breaking free of it. Yeah. Um, so I think especially for, for people in leadership, you might be the first person to read a book on that topic. So you think, okay, I've, I'm struggling with my anger. I've read a book on anger. I still get angry. <laughs> and so if you're, if you're feeling stuck, I think that's another helpful way to say, I probably need to, grow my circle of care. Yeah. Kate and I had a, a personal experience of that a couple of years ago when in our marriage we felt like that was the issue that 
pushed us to sitting in a room with a biblical counselor, an elder in another church, and we were like, we feel stuck. This is the, about once a year, we come around the mountain to this place, and the church was very gracious in getting behind us and, you know, uh, paying for those 10 sessions for us to go. We ended up needing 15. Um, But it it honestly was... still pretty good. It was phenomenal. (laughs) It it honestly was phenomenal. And the two of us just in that marriage space went, man, the gift of pretty much 15 hours over about four months of sitting, kind of talking about this primary relationship in our lives. What a gift to us. And then the person helped us peel back all the onion layers and get Mm. to some stuff. And I was like, man, I never would have understood this about me was I not to have been able to go, I'm stuck, and I think someone else needs to, we're stuck, I'm stuck, we're stuck, and I think we need help from someone else. So that's a big motivating factor, I think, for so many people, yeah. Yeah, I think what what can also be true, particularly for for people in leadership, is that if if we have a view of sin that just sees sin as conscious disobedience, um, it that's not rich enough to explain all that goes wrong with us. So we can think, but I'm not consciously disobeying God. I am, I am trying to obey him in every area of my life. But obviously a, a kind of a, a richer biblical understanding of sin sees sin impacting how we interpret life, what we desire, um, how we feel about things. You know? So a lot of the stuff that would be, we're less than fully aware of is also at play. And unless someone else asks us questions, it's very hard for us to get the objectivity we need, which I think is so often in the Bible why God asks people questions. It's, because, yeah. it's not because he doesn't know the answer, it's because they don't know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, so and yeah. so I think that's where counseling, that just by being asked a question by someone else brings more objectivity into our self-understanding. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Rigby, one last question for you and then we're going to the floor. I'm not sure where the mic is, but... Um, what would you say to those who just say, but shouldn't the gospel be enough for us? What, what, what would you say to that? I would agree with him. The gospel is enough. Hmm. But I would want to just unpack that a little. The gospel is enough as a soteriological framework, the doctrine of salvation which leads into this radical experience of justification by faith, where we're given this absolutely radical new identity, the double imputation of what Jesus did on the cross. My sin is placed on him, his righteousness is placed on me forever. And we can't, we can't have both at the same time. So now we have the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, some of you are thinking, I'm fighting with Carl, I'm not. I'm wanting to start at, at what I think is a very helpful place because sometimes we're trying to counsel people that don't have gospel foundations securely in, the, in their hearts. And some people are just young believers and need that help. And so preaching is a massive part of bringing people into gospel wholeness or, or, or mental wellness. Uh, I, I like the term gospel wholeness. It just feels like like I'm being more faithful to the gospel. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's but, uh, And then, of course, the, this reality of, boom, the power of sin, the, uh, sorry, the penalty of sin is broken uh, through that new birth, through that justification. Jesus is risen from the dead, and he was raised from my justification. That is amazing. Uh, but that's not all that the gospel does. It also brings me into a lifelong journey of sanctification. So the soteriological framework for me is like, uh, I am still being made whole, and a lot of my, uh, my wobbles, a lot of my capacity to cope with life's difficulties are part of the fact that I'm still needing to mature in my understanding of the gospel, and we're going to have many rounds of being freed from the power of sin in our lives. The penalty is dealt with once for all, but the power of sin is a reality, broken, fallen world. And so the gospel is enough in terms of sanctifying power and grace, and of course the doctrine of glorification uh, promises us ultimately that the gospel, good news, hope has the last word. Uh, But the gospel is enough because 
who's going to tell people that? Gospel people, gospel preachers, gospel counselors. How are we going to hear this? We're going to hear it through the means of grace that God gives us in the gospel. And so, uh, to just wrap up with this last thing, the gospel moves forward on two frontiers. (laughs) The outermost parts of the world and the innermost parts of our heart. And they are not static. They are present, continuous journeys. And I think we need to give each other permission to acknowledge uh, and we need to understand that we are still a work in progress. And there may be a correlation to some of the ground we take out there in terms of doing is going to be married to some of the ground we take in here, which is around being the kind of person God is transforming us to become and some of the journeys that we will need to walk with others to help us get there. I say the gospel is enough. That's what I just shared. Did he say it in his one sentence? The gospel has two frontiers. Oh, I, I missed it. I'm so sorry. I should have a sabbatical. I should take my family wherever in the world we want to go. Great. Let's, let's have some questions from the floor. Questions from the floor? Right. Just some tips for, um, as a church leader, helping people um, to, to develop a, a, a biblical counseling uh, ethos that reflects some of the stuff you're speaking about. Uh, often we find that th- there's, there's one group that wants to cast out demons at the, at the hint of any mental health thing, and there's another group that just wants to medicate, and there's another group. So, so ha- some tips for helping people to get onto a page that, that captures the sort of stuff. Especially when they're all in your church, right? Yeah. All of those different people are in one church. We've yeah. been having it. I actually remember, um, I think it was about a week after Ryan and I became elders, there was a, like, a demonic incident at <laughs> Jubilee. Um, and it was weird, and I, and I was accused of not, I think, sufficiently um, acknowledging some of that stuff. But it's a, it's a, it's a great question, and it's, it's actually a question around causality. What causes these problems? I think that what Scripture does is give us a rich, comprehensive framework uh, around causality. We do actually know that supernatural evil is a relevant causal factor. Um, we also know that the body can be a causal factor, social context can be a causal factor, Um, and then of course our own dynamic hearts that interpret and choose and all that stuff. So I think part of it is is probably doing some teaching on the big picture, because I think what happens is the the person in, you know, someone over here is going like, it's all about, you know, biology, and this person is saying it's all about demons, and helping them say actually, that is a factor, so they don't get too defensive. We're, we're, we acknowledge that, scripture acknowledges that. Um, but we wanna see the big picture and all five factors are relevant when it comes to understanding causality. And then practically in terms, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to answer the question practically, but w- what we've done at Jubilee is, we, we've just said, if if someone's receiving care and there's a suspicion that there's like a demonic element, that would actually be something we would want to um, bring to the elders in terms of having a separate moment where if they want to engage more directly around that rather than the the person providing sort of lay counseling is doing. (laughs) So we're quite, you know, we're quite clear that actually if, if you do feel like it's something more in that realm, then we would feel like that's a significant enough thing because done badly, that stuff can really cause a lot of damage. Um, so in our context, I would feel like that's a significant enough thing to take to the elders. Um, doesn't mean all the elders have to be 
involved, but I, I just, I don't want our um, volunteer counselors to be making those decisions. <laughs> yeah. So, so Carl, imagine you're not in Jubilee and you don't have all mm. the things set up because mm. you just referred to yeah. some volunteer counselors and the elders in our biblical yeah. counseling yeah. institute and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, imagine the church has got none of these things and it's kind of historically been a bit of a gospel is enough context mm. and they're wanting to say, hey, how can we help our people just take some first steps. Yeah. What what would you encourage a a church at kind mm. of at that first yeah. steps level? I think I would start with uh, your life group leaders or your home home groups. Um, I think giving them some basic uh, um, teaching around how do we think about gospel centered pastoral care that is that's got that holistic awareness but is focused on the gospel. I think getting your home group leaders and, and obviously your, your leadership team, if it's, if it's not elders, but whatever that looks like. So I think getting your, your senior leadership community on the same page, I think what can happen is that people become evangelists for what they personally find helpful. I think also in the care space, you, you have a lot of people with a strong compassion gift getting involved, but what you actually, you do need... Um, a, a theological framework that is consistent with the theological framework of your church. Because a lot of these courses that come out are coming from radically different places. You know, there's, yeah. um, whether it's the overemphasis on the demonic or it's just West, of sometimes just Western secularism that's just repackaged as Christianity. And so I think having, getting your leadership community on the same page theologically and then practically equipping your home group leaders because that starts to impact the culture and then I think a counseling ministry can be an expression of the culture. If you don't do it that way, then if you start a counseling ministry without a culture of care, yeah. everyone gets, every, whenever someone wants care, they go to the counseling ministry instead of a life group um, and we don't want that. <laughs> yeah, that's very good, yeah. that's very good. There was another question. Wow. Okay, one more, one more, Craig. Hi, right, Carl. This couch I've just discovered is very comfortable, so can I lie down on it while I ask this question? <laughs> I couldn't see you, yeah. The, this book that you've just released, who would you recommend reads it? Is it for everyone in the church, or is it more aimed at the ones who are already involved in counseling? It's written for someone who is wondering if they need counseling. It, it is actually surreptitiously designed to encourage the person providing counseling of a good structure. Um, but what we found at Jubilee, it was really just written out of, we're getting the same problems again and again, is there is a lot of information asymmetry when it comes to counseling. People don't know what it is. So often we would, we would find someone not they're struggling, they think they need counseling, but they're not sure what to expect. There's often a sense that if I meet with a counselor, then now I'm fine, you know, or, or how long do I need to meet with them? Maybe five sessions, 10 sessions, five years. Um, so what that resource is designed to do is to, in a very simple way, say to someone, how do you know you need counseling? How do you choose a counselor? How do you get the most out of your counseling? How is the Bible used in counseling, especially in church, like biblical counseling? How do I know when counseling is ready to end? And what about life after counseling? So it really is meant for the church member. Um, we'd like to just have some copies like in our foyer for people, or we try to get it as cheap as possible so people can buy it and hand it out to someone in their life group. So if someone you know, even for life group leaders to recommend to people, if they've got someone in their life group that's really struggling, it could be something to give them. Um, so it's, it's good for the pastors to read. I mean, we will, you know, find that, oh, maybe I'm answering some of these questions for myself. So I think it will help leaders to be aware of, but it's designed for the church member. That's great. Sadly, sadly. Okay, guys, we've got lunch and we're late for that, and it's hot lunch, which is really good. Just as we bring this to a close, here's what I want to acknowledge, that to after a moment like this where we kind of go, man, this need when it comes to mental well-being and, and biblical counseling 
is real. And I believe it's a need that we need to acknowledge in this room. And we want to be sensitive to that. And we want to say, this is starting the conversation. We don't feel that the sensitive response to that would be now for us to ask everyone to put up their hands if they feel like they fit into that category. We're saying, guys, can we give each other permission in our lives and in our eldership teams to have these conversations and to say it's okay and it's right and it's good for us to check in with each other on these things and then for us to collectively figure out what are the appropriate avenues of care, as Kyle's mentioned to us. So churches, church leaders, can we commission you to this end? We believe that we will go longer and we'll go healthier and Jesus will ultimately be glorified through our lives that much more or were we to tend to these things. And so we trust that this has been helpful. Let's put our hands together and thank Kyle for coming to serve us. Thank you so much, buddy.